Today's podcast is brought to you by All the Pieces Matter. The Wire is considered one of the greatest shows of all time. It is. New York Times bestselling author and our former colleague. Our former colleague. Jonathan Abrams has the behind-the-scenes story of the show as told by those who lived it. Coming out February 13th. It's like a Valentine's Day gift one day early. The new book, All the Pieces Matter, has exclusive access to the actors, writers, and directors of The Wire. A truly wonderful show about my hometown. Yes. There's so much in this book that you never knew about this iconic and beloved show. All the Pieces Matter is available February 13th wherever books are sold. Where's Wallace? He's in the book. Warning. Binge Mode contains adult content. In this episode of Ask the Underscore, we will be answering questions. One of those subjects is Altered Carbon, a show which co-stars James Purfoy, who displays his dong. All of it. The whole thing. <laughs> All of it. Just strides in. So if that's not your thing, check out the watch. And if it is, watch Altered Carbon. <laughs> Episode two. And now, <laughs> binge mode. Hello! Yeah! And welcome to Binge Mode. Yes. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Oh, what a good website. What a good website, guys. Joining me today, now that he's finished scaling the awning of the Ritz-Carlton and eating horse dung off the street. It's actually pretty tasty. It was the five-second <laughs> rule. It had only been freshly down. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Fly, eagles, fly. Fly, eagles, fly. Poop horses, poop. Mal. Yeah. Three cheers for Big Dick Nick Foles. And after that, quick reminder, every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we'll be diving deep into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment. And this spring, we'll be diving into Binge Mode Harry Potter. Yes. You'll be able to find both Weekly and Harry Potter on the same feed. So stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to give us a rating. Give us a review. Give us that five-star rating, guys. And please... Follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, a.k.a. the reason this Twitter questions driven episode is called Ask the Underscore. The Brady memes are as fresh as his TB12 avocado ice cream recipe. He is terrible. Not a good human being. <laughs> and one more quick note. We've got some great content up at TheRinger.com right now. Check out Ben Lindbergh's feature, Meet the Masters of Video Game Remasters, about the company tasked with remaking one of the most iconic titles in gaming history. Great story. I edited that. So you did. Quite enjoyed it. Also, while you're at it, yeah, go check out all of the crazy awesome, crazy awesome, crazy awesome shows on the Ringer Podcast Network, including The Big Picture, where our editor-in-chief, Sean Fennessy, interviews some of the biggest names in film. Great podcast. Check it out. And on today's Binge Mode Weekly, we are answering your questions. We had such a good time doing this at the Mm. end of 2017, and we so enjoy hearing from you guys about the things that you're passionate about. We decided we're going to make this a semi-recurring feature, hopefully. We're going to do it again today, at least. (laughs) We cannot give you an all-encompassing spoiler warning as we usually do in a typical episode because we're not just talking about one thing. Who knows what will come up, but we're definitely going to talk about the new Solo and Westworld trailers. We're going to talk about Altered Carbon, The Good Place. There will be some Thrones and some Harry, as there always is. So, you know, just be on the lookout for spoiler warnings on each given topic and just stay as frosty as... Alden Ehrenreich's line readings. (laughs) Because it's time to dive into the latest edition of Ask the Underscore. Yeah. First question from Matthew at Matt Barbascuo. What is your most cherished Super Bowl memory? Also, is Flacco's current situation conundrum Mm. worth the 2013 Super Bowl win? Search deep within your soul and ask yourself, if you could do it all again, would you pay the price? Hashtag fly, eagles fly. We love to talk about sports. Love sports. Here on Binge Mode Weekly. So thank you for this sports question. Okay, couple answers, couple thoughts here. My most cherished Super Bowl memory from a professional Mm. perspective is this one. Yeah. Because, (laughs) candidly, I don't know that we had a ton left to say about the Patriots. They just have won so many damn times. It's hard to continue to assess Tom Brady's GOAT status and Belichick's legacy. And so the Eagles winning that game was just 
rejuvenating and restorative. I was very happy for all of the Eagles fans on staff, certainly. Amazed to see Chris Ryan in the office the next day, frankly. Man, I've never seen him so active and physical and ready to punch someone out. It's all the yingling <laughs> coursing yes. through his veins, yes. all the all the wah-wah. So that was really, truly great. It was yeah. it was just energizing for everyone, and it was, it was fun. Part of what makes Dynasties cool is that every now and then they're threatened, and that's yes. interesting. Personally, most cherished Super Bowl memory, I have had the pleasure of watching my Ravens win two Super Bowls. So I have a cherished memory from each of those games. The first one will not be a cherished memory for you as a Giants fan. Yeah, it's but very tough. Brandon Stokely's 38-yard touchdown reception from Dilfer in the first quarter of that Super Bowl was a transcendent sports moment for me. I have a really vivid memory of thinking, oh my God, they're going to win this game. They're going to win the championship because I did not think Trent Dilfer was capable of throwing that pass. It's as simple as that. The entire season was always about whether they would be able to overcome with the strength of their defense in the run game, not having a passing game at all. And when he uncorked that, he's, the throw is leading Stokely. He's in full stride as he catches it, punches it in, 7-0 lead. They never looked back. They never trailed in that game again. I was like, they can do it also. I was very young during that Super Bowl. Mm. I was like 14. I was in ninth grade and... A memory I have also is that we weren't going to have to do our homework Whoa! if the Ravens won. And so all of that was very important to me. Then, fast forward, 2013, my Ravens, mm. back in the Super Bowl, Harbaugh Bowl. The things that Jacoby Jones did in that Super Bowl will stay with me forever. The 56-yard first-half touchdown that he had mm. was a classic moment for so many reasons. It was simultaneous bliss and validation. Here's why. He scored a 56-yard touchdown in the Super Bowl. He had this amazing double move to get free in the first place. And then he went down, but he was not touched. Mm. So he was not down by contact. He was not rolled down. He popped back up. A great moment of awareness. Runs into the end zone. Scores. The validation? Total underthrow by Flacco. Like the drama, which was incredible, never needed to exist because if Flacco doesn't underthrow him so badly, he just runs straight into the end zone. So that was a delightful moment for me. And then, of course, of course, of course, the Jacoby Jones... Kick return touchdown Mm. to open the second half. During the broadcast, they said it was an 109-yard record setter. I think they changed the ruling to 108 yards. Still pretty good, guys. And then shortly after that, we had the 34-minute power outage, which is a a thing that happened. That was absurd. It's a thing that happened. That was truly uh, untrammeled territory. Most people spent that 34 minutes being like, something terrible is happening. What's going on? Is this a league conspiracy? Did Ray Lewis put too much deer antler spray in the air? Like, what's going on right. here? And I was just I was just replaying those touchdowns in my mind and eating wings all 34 oh, minutes. Wings. So those are my answers. And then in terms of the Flacco question, I actually addressed this a couple weeks ago in a Bill Simmons mailbag when he asked me this question on behalf of Jaguars fans. Basically, the idea was, is it worth it if they get a Super Bowl out of Bortles here, if they're going to end up having to then commit to him long term? And the answer is yes. Of course. It's the flags it's fly forever thing. argument. Yeah. I don't watch sports because I want to think about salary figures and salary caps and how much Flacco's contract is an anchor weighing us down into the abyss of misery. I want that championship and I got it. So, yes, it was worth it. What about you? What's your most cherished Super Bowl memory? You have a couple good ones as a Giants fan. I mean, this isn't easy. It's Super Bowl 42. Eli Manning to David Tyree, the helmet catch. There's just so much happening there. Number one, of course, dethroning the Patriots who, by all measure... (sighs) look you just made (laughs) were they had put together an unparalleled regular season the best of all time they were already one of the legendary teams that has ever played right bill belichick an icon tom brady one of the greatest ever do it fashion icon sir fashion icon by that time (laughs) the giants were 10 and 6 i believe had limped as strong, but they had kind of gambled into the postseason not in any way authoritative season from them And everybody expected the Patriots to win, and they should have won. Yes. And then that little bit of magic. Incredible. Eli Manning, could you call it a scramble? I'm not sure what you call it from Eli. Eli has never been a mobile person. Well, now I like to think that it was all just prep for this commercial, (laughs) this Dirty Dancing parody commercial. All of it, all these years. Quite quite delightful. His footwork was actually... (laughs) He looked limber? He did. He looked brisk. Where is this during the regular season? (laughs) Agility we didn't know he possessed. Eli. Certainly charisma we didn't know he possessed. Eli is kind of... If you watch it in the slow-mo, there's like his kind of like big, dumb, wide boy's face 
you know, as plain as the middle America cornfields, <laughs> kind of registering that moment of, uh-oh, and he lets the ball fly. David Tardy goes up, somehow pulls it down, pins it against his helmet, and the rest is history. It was one of the greatest sporting moments of my life. Number one, I just couldn't feel my body. I wasn't sure yeah. what I had actually seen. It was one of those things when the play happens, it's like, okay, immediately go to replay because I'm not sure even what happened. Right. I don't know what I saw. Right. Your joy is like on delay yeah, slightly it was, because it's the terror and especially with of whether it'll hold up. Especially with football where it's like, okay, now we have to find out if that was really a catch. Right. What was that? I was very excited. The excitement was on hold. And then we watched it, and it, it's one of those plays that gets better and better and better and better and better with the viewings. Was it lucky? Sure, but you need a little luck sometimes. And then, so this was 2008, I was delivering leather in New York City. That was my job. For like a sex dungeon? or For, for a handbag company. And then I would tweet in my spare time, and that's what I was doing. And I took off about a week later to go uh, watch the parade. It was a wonderful time. That's this beautiful. was a truly great memory. That was like the one championship that I felt really a part of. Obviously, like the, the Yankees have won many championships in my and life. You're and a, you're a diehard, well-known Yankee fan. Diehard, dyed-in-the-wool Yankee fan. But this is the New York championship that I really felt like I could take part in. And I'll tell you, like watching Chris and Andy and, and Zach Barron just go nuts. John John Gonzalez, Michael Bauman. Incredible showing from Bauman. Bauman, <laughs> I did not know, had that kind of energy oh inside of his body. Amazing stuff. If you haven't watched the Ringer 360 video, watch it. watch it and marvel. Michael Bauman. Marvel at My, Michael Bauman. Michael Bauman says no like 60 times in a row with steadily increasing intensity. <laughs> and then at the end of it, he just lets out a scream. Oh. It's truly amazing. It's an incredible. I, watching that, I was just thinking, man, if the Knicks ever win the title, but they won't. How are you feeling about KP? Gotta uh, ask. It's truly devastating. It was a strange injury, too, because it looked like an ankle roll, and if it wasn't for the fact that he grabbed his knee, I wouldn't have been terrified. And the garden went silent. It yeah. was just quiet. Like, you heard nothing. I'm very sad. I'm very saddened by this. I guess the upside is then we're definitely getting a top four pick as long as we tank. But, yeah, it sucks. It I'm sucks, sorry, man. Buddy. Stuff. At least Odell seems to be healing well. Thank God. That's something. He's going to come back stronger, I believe, in him. Dr. Carlin Kolker, his <laughs> not-at-all-shady 52-year-old <laughs> muscle-bound physician, do your work. A little preview of NBA desktop yes. right here on yes. SC Underscore. Yeah. I love it. All right, number two from John Avondet. We hope mm. we're pronouncing your names correctly, we do. guys. We're trying hard. That's right. John asks, and we should say we got numerous versions many, many, many. of this question. Jason, yeah, you go first here. Thoughts on Benioff and Weiss doing three, three, three exclamation point, exclamation point. Star Wars films will they be rated M for mature? Will pizza please oh. have a lead role? Search your feelings. You know them to be true. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Incredible. So, what do you think? The news broke yesterday that Benioff and Weiss, Game of Thrones creators, Man. will be making some Star Wars films. No. How you feeling? I'm happy for them. Yeah. This is obviously great considering the brevity, condensed timeline of the last season and the shortened season to come. I'll be charitable and say perhaps they were looking to the future in this coming deal to do Star Wars. Will it be M for Mature? Surely not. You can't do that. You can't. Like, it does delight me to imagine a world in which Luke and Leia really just fucked from the get-go. <laughs> Incest heavy. <laughs> a new hope. Like, yes. right off the bat. She just straight up is like, I think I'm your sister. Great. Let's go. <laughs> we already a, kissed 400 already times. Kissed, yeah. Let's just do this thing. Yeah, I'm happy for them. And I'm, I'm really interested in to see what they develop. Not a lot of details in terms of what parts of the universe these films will right. cover. What characters. Will this be completely new parts of the universe or at least new in terms of the film executions? Will this be stuff we've never seen? Clone Wars stuff? We don't know, but I'm, I am excited about it. Is there a part of the Star Wars universe that you think they'd be best suited to handle, whether it's like a type of story mm. or a type of character? Like, is there something that you're hoping for? Well, uh, Benioff wrote a great novel, City of Thieves. A favorite of Juliet Littman's. Favorite of Juliet Littman's. As is David Benioff. <laughs> <laughs> a favorite of many around here is which is a really harrowing tale of life during World War II behind the lines in a city under siege and under occupation by the Nazis. So I would imagine they would be able to bring that kind of 
to really bring out the war in Star Wars, which seems like something that Star Wars of late, certainly post Rogue One, has really been leaning into. Let us feel the war, feel the conflict. You didn't really see that in the first prequels. It was more a character study, whereas this is, I mean, you're seeing you're seeing the effects of planets being destroyed. You're seeing the effects on people's psyches of, of violence and of mass death. You're seeing things like PTSD kind of very gently be displayed in, in Star Wars. So I do wonder if they'll do something like that, leaning more into the, the war aspect of Star Wars. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm really excited. Yeah. First of all, just more broadly, yeah. I am not, at least not yet, in the how much Star Wars is too much Star Wars camp. No, I'm not. Like, I, I don't see these announcements and news releases and think, oh, my God, another one. I'm like, right. oh, cool, yeah. another one. I mean, Star Wars is fun. Yeah. Star Wars is something that we love. Yeah. And just even more more broadly for, you know, stories in general, we've talked about this before. Like, I am of the mind that J.K. Rowling should continue to create things in the Harry Potter universe. And they won't always be as perfect as the first right. thing was, but that's okay. You know, I want more of the things that I love. Yeah. And so I'm always excited by the prospect of something that is literally about the universe and thus does not really have any cap on what it can be continuing to give us more and more installments. And that was, you know, as we as we discussed in our Last Jedi episode, part of what was so refreshing, I think, to both of us about that was the idea of breaking away a little bit from the idea of this, like, always having to be about the Skywalkers or connecting really directly to something that you already know. So the more creators who we as consumers trust Mm -hmm. get their hands on this, like, I think the more exciting the prospects of new characters and new stories are. You know, I'm excited to see what Ryan Johnson does with his set of films. I'm really looking forward to that. And Benioff and Weiss are responsible for adapting one of my two favorite stories of all time. And has every single decision, has every single choice in the Game of Thrones show been pitch perfect? It can't be. It can't be, exactly. And so the level of success that they have achieved is frankly astonishing yeah and it gives me basically endless faith in their ability to succeed again and i think the one thing that we know definitively from their work on thrones is that they are absolutely exceptionally skilled at taking an existing world something that someone else has created you know george R. R. martin's world the star wars universe putting it in their hands and operating with great care to certainly adapt it in the way that they see fit through their eyes through their lens but also honoring what was intended. Yeah. They are masters at channeling someone else's world building and making you feel like you are fully immersed in that world and that you understand it and that you know how it behaves and how it operates. And they're expert at character development and at getting you to feel like you should care about people, mm. to see this thing you've thought of in your head, jokes, lines of dialogue. Yeah. I have high hopes for pretty much all of that and hopefully also that the films that they're making will be like sexy and fun maybe in a way that we haven't really seen in star wars films before except for you know one of the greatest scenes ever hold me by the lake at hold naboo me. one of the great the hottest scenes in star wars history the adaption angle is interesting i wonder if it'd be the thrawn trilogy which is mm. one of the famous bits of extended universe fiction encompassing heir to the empire dark force rising and last command tells the story of Thrawn, who's basically the dark lord who kind of sustains the Empire in the wake of its defeat, as depicted by the original first trilogy. I wonder if it would be that. I suppose the flip side is, this is pure speculation, maybe they would say, we just spent years and years and years of our lives having people measure us against someone else's work. We want to create something totally of our own. That'd be pretty now, cool still, too. how quote totally of our own right. can it be if it's Star Wars? But maybe they want to craft their own characters and put their own touch on the world. That would be really cool too. Speaking of Star Wars, number three, Bryce Sawin. On a scale from, I've got a bad feeling about this too. I don't like sand. How worried should we be about Solo as a movie and specifically Alden Ehrenreich's acting? I don't like sand. I don't like sand. And it gets everywhere. (laughs) It's been too long since we've made fun of dear old Anakin. Miss that. Okay. Well, first of all, phenomenal question, Bryce. Not only just the general nature of the question, but the very specific binge mode in-joke nature of the question. I don't like sand. A favorite thing of ours to mock. I don't like sand. I don't like sand. It gets everywhere. (laughs) 
It does. Hold me by the lake in the boo. <laughs> How worried should we be about Solo as a movie hmm. and specifically Alden Ehrenreich's acting? Okay, well, I don't think we should be worried about Solo as a movie at all. I think we should be worried about Alden's acting, but I do not think we should be worried about Solo as a movie. And we should just pan back for a second. For anyone who's listening to this right. and, and might not be aware, Solo, a yes. Star Wars story, has fallen into what uh, film Twitter would refer to as, quote, a troubled production. Yes. Reports, rumors, somewhere ranging from whispers to shouts that the set has been a mess. Sure. The process of making this film has been a mess. Yes. The people who were originally making the movie, Lorda Miller, did not finish the movie. Ron Howard came in. Which is a remarkable thing to happen. Especially in something this high profile. Yes. Like, it's something is really going wrong if that's happening. And not even rumors, just flat out reports yeah. that one of the main problems on set is that the actor who plays the main character is apparently struggling a bit Tough. with the material. That's not us saying that. That's just out there. In the world. Tough look. Let me interject for a moment, if I may. I think there is no world in which the person who fills the shoes of Harrison Ford isn't going to take some heat. You're talking about one of the most charismatic and handsome actors yes. of our time. I think that is an extremely valid point. Very important to stress. Here's my counterpoint. I'm just trying to defend him very lightly and just have that out there. Because that is true. Yeah. Because that is true yeah. and that no one is going to be able to really replicate Harrison Ford, you only have to do two things. You yeah. only have to make absolutely certain that the person you cast can be two things. One, yeah. and I hate to be shallow, sure, handsome. Really, really handsome. Because Harrison Ford is one of the most handsome men who's ever graced the planet. Truly. So you have to be able to just have people look at you and say, that is someone I would like to look at for a long time. And two, charming. Those are the two criteria. Be handsome and be charming. Now, one, easy. Plenty of good-looking people in Hollywood, right? Number two, charming. Seems like maybe that is where... They slightly miscalculated. Like, would our homie Ansel be better in this role? Because yes. he has the charisma. He has that swashbuckling spirit. Like, none of that so far is coming across from Alden. Yeah. And what's interesting about the way these trailers dropped is that we had this, like, this double dip. So you had a teaser trailer drop during the Super Bowl that was, in essence— not only a trailer for the film, but a trailer for the trailer. What was notable about this? The main character in the movie did not speak. Yeah, that was, that's a red flag. <laughs> he did not speak. He did not have a starring role in the trailer at all. Amelia Clark got a lot of time. Love the her. highlight of this first trailer by far was Donald Glover, resplendent, lights flashing on him, fur coat draped on his body, glancing into the distance as Lando. That was the, the shot that everyone was gifting and everyone was buzzing about on Twitter. Then the second trailer, the actual trailer, dropped mm -hmm. Monday morning, and it's almost all Alden. A lot of lines, and here's the thing. They are bad. They're poorly delivered. They're really stiff and wooden. They don't have the thing that you're expecting from Han Solo, which is that winning yeah. That rogues, that rogues charm. Right. He's a bad boy, but you're going to roll with it anyway. Exactly. I'm a little afraid that he's going to get me in trouble, right. but it's going to be worth it because he's so fun to be right. around. He's going to take my wallet. Right. Like there's the moment in the trailer where Amelia Clark's like, I know what you really are. And he's like, what's that? And that moment, you just need to have the Harrison Ford side smirk, That's a thing. eyebrow arched. And when he says, what's that? Like you honestly expect the next line to be someone who's not good enough to have landed this role. That's a great point because see, the thing that Harrison would do there is not even say the line. He would just do the smirk. Exactly. The, you know, you want this yeah. <laughs> smirk and he'd be right. There is a tremendous meta moment at the end of that second trailer though, which is, Alden saying, "Yeah, thought we were in trouble there for a second, but it's fine. We're fine. Right. I really like that. Yeah. I really respect the move of that meta commentary yeah. on acknowledging the fact that they yeah. know that everyone right. who's watching this has been reading these reports, hearing these rumors, and is worried about the state of the film. Here's the thing. All of that said, if he's not good enough to carry the movie, it doesn't matter because it's Star Wars and people are still going to line up to see it and it's going to make a bazillion dollars. And there will be some resentment from people who cherish that character about whether this origin story was well executed or even necessary in the first place. Right. Like Han Solo is beloved. He 
is one of the most beloved beloved. characters in film history. And so if you introduce certain elements to his origin story, certainly if you introduce politics, I think, to his origin story, that's going to piss some people off. But it seems like there's enough in here. You got Chewie. Love Chewie. You have a love interest. You got Donald Glover. Donald Glover looking great in like a chinchilla coat or whatever the space version of chinchilla is. You have Woody Harrelson literally saying... I'm getting a crew together yeah. in a movie presumably about getting, getting a crew, a crew together. together. And then, of course, you have the shot of the Millennium Falcon doing Millennium Falcon so things clean. at the end. That's all you need. The interior was absolutely pearly white. My favorite thing about your assessment of the trailer was how much you focused on the aesthetics. Uh, the cleanliness of the Falcon and, of course, the logo. Listen, I have a problem with the solo font and the way it looks. Now, my immediate instinctive reaction was that looks like the font for the Lego movie or Lego Star Wars, which makes sense because uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord were the co-directors of the Lego movie. Right. So maybe that's like their one vestigial imprint on this movie series. I think it's, you know, the Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, which is the movie where I first became aware of Alden Ehrenreich's work. That's the movie that made people think he was charming. Well, the funny thing about that movie is he plays a cowboy turned actor who plays in cowboy movies. And... In the movie, he's cast like as the love interest in this kind of like uh, English romantic comedy, and he has to deliver a line, and the line is, would that it were so simple. And he just strides in wearing a tuxedo, but the walk is like he just got off a bull, and then he <laughs> sits down on a couch looking incredibly uncomfortable, and then he says, would that it were so simple. Cut! And that's the whole joke, and that scene just goes on and on. That scene takes on a meta quality now with yeah. these reports of Alden's alleged inability to <laughs> act, which I can't. Some of it has There's to be There's a report over- that they had to bring in an acting coach, That's right? That's really a report. That's in- brutal. Incredibly rough. And again, in his slight defense, and of course we don't know if this is these scurrilous rumors are true, Harrison Ford was truly one of the most charismatic people to ever grace the screen. Incredibly handsome guy. I'm reminded of an anecdote given by Eve Babbitts. Eve Babbitts was a author and socialite in Los Angeles, famed for her wide collection of lovers. She wrote some really great L.A. novels, books of reminiscences. One is Eve's Hollywood, Slow Days and Fast Company, L.A. Woman. The first two are New York Review of Books classics. You can get those. They're really entertaining. Anyway, Eve Babbitts had a wide assortment of male friends, one of whom was Harrison Ford. And I'm reminded of this anecdote she she told about Harrison. Quote, Harrison could fuck <laughs> nine people a day. It's a talent, <laughs> loving nine different people in one day. Warren Beatty could only do six. Incredible. Okay, <laughs> speaking of uh, nine times a day. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the dicks in Altered Carbon. <laughs> Number four, Rosalba O'Brien asks, is at Alt Carb? So Netflix's yes. new show, Altered Carbon, just an empty shell. While it looks great, after the first episode, it seems like eye candy and explosions with little meaningful to say. Am I wrong? Worth sticking with? I mean, Altered Carbon has been getting savaged, critically. I think it's fun. Like, I like a science fiction story, and I'm down to watch pretty gunplay and explosions. When you say pretty gunplay, are you talking about James Perfoy's penis? Or? James Perfoy's penis is <laughs> on display in... The second episode of this series, it looks as if he kind of got it to a semi-level, just so, you know, the vanity of the He started to man, alter that carbon? It's slapping against the leg as he walks. He walks out, and what does he say? The line of dialogue that he says as he walks out, full frontal nude, is incredible. Talking about how much he values his privacy. Because <laughs> fucking walking naked across the screen. Incredible. But, you know, it's like, yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's some interesting ideas there, including what happens to society when the boundaries of life and death are blurred in such a way, when the human body can be bought and sold, discarded like a piece of clothing. That kind of thing is kind of interesting. The rest of it is, yeah, it's not executed in a really compelling way. There was a moment when Joel Kinnaman's character first meets James Perfoy's character, and James Perfoy's character is like, uh, I'd like you to investigate a murder. And he goes, who's... And if you can't feel the response line, mine, coming from three miles away, then yeah. I don't even know what to say. Jason Cahill, our producer, had a great point. That reminded him of the movie Fletch, which it really did. is quite like the movie Fletch, the first episode. What about you? So 
It's interesting to hear you end on a, a comp to another thing, because I think that's been one of the problems that really has plagued the show just in its first few days of existence is everybody seems to say this is just like X. Right. You know, a lot of people have said Blade Runner or Ghost in the Shell. I get like heavy Westworld vibes. Mm. Actually, we're going to talk about Westworld in a few minutes. Tonally, aesthetically, completely different shows. Right. But the idea of basically being able to go into a body and fuck and fight and kill yeah. people without consequence. Right. A lot of those ideas and the things that the show explores are similar. So that is largely the problem. And it's, I think, in an era where we have so much sci-fi, so much fantasy, and some of these ideas start to feel ubiquitous, yeah. most shows have been able to get away with it. I wonder if Altered Carbon isn't getting away with it because people just don't think it's very good or very compelling, or... If we've actually maybe reached a tipping point. Interesting. Because it's a very different show, but it's kind of what we were talking about with Electric Dreams. Right. Which is like, I feel similarly about Alter Carbon and Electric Dreams. I'm having a fun time watching it, sure. actually. Like, Same. I, I'm nine episodes in. I will definitely finish. If it comes back, I will watch the next season. I have not read the books on which the show is Same. based, but I am I intrigued enough by what the show is exploring to consider picking up the books and seeing how faithfully the show was adapted from the books, how different it is, whether the mythology makes more sense in the books. But much like Electric Dreams, I'm watching and I'm saying, you know, looking forward to the next episode. Yeah. This is engaging. This is entertaining. But nothing about it feels new. Yeah. Nothing about it feels fresh. Nothing about it feels like transcendent. And it's just because a lot of these ideas, they're just like retreads. Yeah. We've been here before. I think it is genuinely fascinating to ask what would happen if your essence, your consciousness, yeah. everything that made you you was just a disc and your body was totally expendable. And, you know, they call bodies sleeves, sleeves. and you could go from sleeve to sleeve and like experience totally different ways of life as a result. You could be a different sex. You could yeah. be a different race. You could make your way into different elements of society and different cultures and live as different people. There's no expiration date on your life. If you're wealthy enough, the show explores class in a very kind of rigid... Yeah. Very cursory. Like, I wouldn't even call it an exploration. Right. It's like it's, a, it's a means to advance it's, the plot. It's literally the poor people are on the ground right. and the rich people are in the sky. Right. Like, it, there's not a lot of depth there, but in right. theory, there is, again, an interesting idea there that could be explored yeah. more compellingly. What does it mean if you have access to eternal life yeah. and other people don't? Does that make you a god? When you lose respect for what mortality is, do you then, by extension, lose your humanity? That's a really interesting idea. Everybody on the show is hot. They get naked a lot. They fuck a lot. It looks cool. Right. I mean, the show looks cool. The fucking also looks cool. But the show in general looks cool. All of that is like pretty much you're checking the boxes on a right. thing I, I will probably like. But it just doesn't feel like it's elevating those ideas yeah. beyond other things we've seen before or, more importantly, that it's presenting new ones. I also find that the mythology is, like, pretty convoluted. Yeah, I can't follow it. And, it's very tough to follow. You know, there's a backstory episode, I believe it's episode seven, that, like, I wanted to love. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get That's all these That's the episode that several pieces I've read have been like, oh, I wish episode seven had been the entire series. Yeah, and there's a lot there that's pretty captivating but it's also just like so ham-fisted at times yeah. and you end up often with the show you end up with more questions than answers and that's not really what I want out of sci-fi so I don't know I think that if you really like sci-fi shows and you're always kind of intrigued by these ideas and you like to see what a high budget production can do with those ideas it's worth watching like it's a pretty low stakes way to spend 10 hours I agree. but you're not gonna leave those 10 hours necessarily feeling like you just found your new favorite bit of IP and you absolutely like are thinking about life yeah. and asking yourself questions about life differently after you watch this. It's not Black Mirror. It's not going to do that for you. There's a moment in the first episode where Joel Kinman's character is getting walked like through a this government building and he sees this person. It's an old woman, but her essence has just been resleeved into this body of an old woman. Because of like an insurance claim, essentially. Right, but it's a child. But it's a child. Right. That kind of thing, I was like, man, I want to know more about this, about the right. process of like getting a new body, about how in this society where, you know, where you can just get a new body, bodies essentially become status symbols. Like that would have been really interesting to explore and that they, they don't really do it. That's it. 
Liv asks, for both of you, yeah. if you were either one or any combination of two characters from The Good Place, who would you be? Oh, okay. So, question. Do we think this means who do we think we actually are or who do we wish we could I think it's be? aspirational. Okay. Interesting. I think the fact that I greeted the question with the question cheaty. means I am cheaty. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just was having this conversation yeah. yesterday with a couple other editors on staff. I do think I'm cheaty because I like to sort of fancy myself a kind-hearted, well-intentioned intellectual, but really I'm just in a prison of my own anxiety, sure. trapped by my indecision, constantly fighting off a stomachache and asking you for soothing hugs in the middle of the day. Who would I want to be? Probably Janet. <laughs> yeah, Janet is pretty great. Which Janet, though? Uh... Maybe I want to be good Janet masquerading as bad Janet. She was pushing herself. Best of both worlds also. Yeah, she found something, called forth something deep inside of her, a force and a power that she didn't know she possessed, but she was also still the sweet, winning, mm. wonderful helper that we all know and love. I don't know. Aren't we all really Eleanor in the end? I think so. I am also a cheaty, and then I would say aspirationally, I'd like to be Tahani, but without the... I hate Tani lives a pretty good life. She gets to hang out with fun people. Yeah. Like do fun stuff. She is in a humanitarian for the wrong reasons, but who freaking cares? And, you know, she's just generally like a really attractive and wealthy and successful person who's generally happy except for the fact that she's in the bad place. Masquerading is a good place. She is regularly referred to as a sexy skyscraper. So I like it. That's Imagine uh, being called that. Well, one of the doors, you know, right. she walked by in her test with the judge, Jen, was Prince William, Prince Harry, and Prince. So yeah. she's lived a life. Certainly. I was with uh, Daniel Radcliffe the other day. He was showing me his collection of wands. Number six, Danny Schnathorst. Any thoughts on the new Westworld trailer? I liked it. I liked it. I'm excited for Westworld season two. I thought the first season was uneven, but had some fascinating ideas at the core of it. The people who write that show are all people that I whose work that I really enjoy. I'm excited to see what the wider Westworld entails. And also, uh, we know that we're going to see the areas of the park outside of Westworld. We're going to see perhaps Roman world or whatever they call it. And right. like other, other areas of it. And perhaps even the world, the real world outside of the park itself, which is something I'm very interested in seeing. I'm excited for it. I guess this counts as a spoiler alert, but yeah, there are reports that we're going to get six, six, six parks, which is a lot and exciting. My, my quick thought on the trailer is that I thought it was spectacular. Yeah. And I was always like, Season one of Westworld is, I think I liked it more than most people. Right. It was certainly not a perfect show. But again, I was compelled enough by the ideas to genuinely like look forward to it each week. I was eager to see what the next chunk of mythology and world building was going to be. And certainly it always felt, to the show's credit, I think, may, well, maybe not to its credit. Maybe it felt like it was moving toward the finale at the expense of everything else. Right. But I was in on season one as flawed as it was. And so... I've been excited for season two the whole time. Seeing that trailer, the bulls, the sequence with the bulls was so... Slow motion is almost cheating, though. It is, but it's so effective. <laughs> it is really effective. <laughs> it just hooks you in and it, it works. Does. And it was it was the show in micro. Yeah. You know, you think you're seeing this natural thing, this organic, flowing bit of beauty. And then instantly, with just a slight tweak in your perspective, you realize that it's chaos. It's machinery. It's a man-made hell. And people, as they so often do, have lost control of their creation. I'm basically always in on that idea. People losing control of the thing they built, 99.9 yep. .9 times out of 100, I'm in on it's that. It's one of the oldest stories that is told. I mean, you For could- For a reason. It almost always works when it's handled with care and thought. And I think that this trailer, and again, it's a trailer. Yeah. Trailers are there to trick you into thinking something's good. <laughs> yes. But literally that's what they, why they it definitely did get, I think, the two of us, but also maybe just people yeah. at large to think, okay, maybe season one was about establishing what they're trying to do here. And now with the rules set, the characters right. in play, every piece is on the board and now they can really do what they want. That's, with it that's the hope. And introduce more artistry Certainly. and more poetry. And if that happens, it will be wonderful. And if that doesn't happen, it'll still be entertaining enough like popcorn yes. and candy week to week. What's next? Number seven, Chris Starr. George R.R. R. Martin pitched mm. an idea 
of a Game of Thrones park crossover in Westworld. Mm-hmm. What weird violent delights would you two do in a Game of Thrones Westworld style park? What wouldn't we do? I would fight the bear. You would fuck the bear. <laughs> oh, the Sheila. claw, Sheila with the claws. Her greasy bear fur. Let's see, I would fight at the Battle of Hardhome. I'd fight the Battle of the Bastards. I'd take a visit to Peter's various establishments just to see. It's research. You have the intellectual curiosity. I would attempt to make the eight. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) It's Westworld, guys. It's okay. Can we get a little Robert Baratheon voice here? Gemma. Oh God, you're strong! Then I would, uh, I'd push a child out of a out of a tower. Sure, yeah, all, all yeah. sorts of things. No consequences. What would you do? So I think I'd want to do everything because it's almost impossible to choose. Because it's just impossible. getting your getting a chance to participate yeah. in that world would be so thrilling. Great, would almost be paralyzed by choice because again, cheaty. Yeah. So slight recalibration of the question. Sure. Let's say that you got to pick which Game of Thrones park you were going to go to, like if they were building all the different parks. And because I think it would be too vast to say Westeros is one park. Go by region. Kingdoms, regions, however you want to break it up. Which would you pick? Oh, man. See, now this is- And you can go Essos, too. You can pick something from Essos. I guess- You want to go sell those oysters, clams, and cockles and Bravos? I I think I would go to Bravos because I'd want to explore the mysteries of the house in black and white. Also, it's got a nice climate. You know, the North- a lot of action in the north, a lot of characters I love, but it's I'm not hanging out in furs in the freezing cold like all the time. I'm not doing that. You know, uh, uh, I got to say also the King's King's Landing is also I would like to take part in the machinations, the political machinations in the Red Keep and just interesting and see what that's like firsthand. You want a bowl of brown and a flea bottom? No, I, I'm not eating the brown. I'm going. You're to, I'm brown. eating the food at the castle. I am not eating the brown. We don't know what is in there. We do. That's the problem. What if they're out of lamprey pie <laughs> no. and you have to get a bowl of brown? No, sir. I'm not eating the brown. I'm going to the wall. Oh wow! I'm going to the wall. I know that's crazy. I know that's basically like volunteering to go cover the Super Bowl in Minnesota. Can I go pee off the wall. <laughs> Tyrion, like, yeah, you know, like a giant. I want to sample three-fingered Hobbs mutton. Mm. Also, I'm going to assume that if we're building these parks, these worlds, the people we want to interact with are there, right? Which means... They had better be there paying this kind of money. And I just am going to say, like I support you in all things, I think maybe maybe you failed to account for this one variable here. Molestown whore. Molestown whore would be alive in this scenario. You'd be able to go interact with Molestown whore. (laughs) Hello. Her black teeth. God, I miss her. What a wonderful <laughs> woman she was. A real kind of Bellatrix Lestrange look to her. Yes, we do genuinely miss her. Like, this is not <laughs> yeah, a bit. We, we are weirdly her. attached to Molestown Whore. I think the idea of going on a ranging would just be so cool. And that, that, would that be feels fun. very Westworldy. Yeah. Like, you think you know what the park is, right? You're in like the Western yeah. Deadwoody town in yeah. Westworld, or you're actually at the wall, you're at Castle Black, you're in Molestown. But then. It's when you say to yourself, I'm going to explore the way no one else has before. And all of a sudden, you're at Craster's Keep. (laughs) You've convinced me. Me in the half hand, just riding out there, a couple of men at our back, swords at our sides, just seeing what we can see. Would just like to say, for the record, that if either of us were actually Tahani or Eleanor, we probably would have said... Send us to High Garden or send us to the send us to the Arbor, send us to Dorn, send us somewhere warm where we can have sunshine and delicious wine. I was hanging with my friend Marjorie. Not the choice that either of us made. Very no. telling. Number eight, Chad in a hat at Rev DJ esque. I'd really love to know if Jason slash Mallory have opinions mm. on Justin Cronin's The Passage trilogy yeah. and whether there's any hope that Fox's now delayed TV treatment might, might succeed. Seems something better built for budget cable streaming. We do have thoughts on The I Passage. I do have thoughts on The Passage. First of all, The Passage, the first book in the trilogy, I thought was genuinely great. Really, really great. Some really harrowing moments first of all opens up with this kind of short story of a little girl amy amy that gives you the backstory of this character in a way that is so emotional and evocative 
paints this picture of a world that's about to die but has no idea the danger it faces and then immediately goes, takes you into the dissolution of society as these rampaging vampires are destroying the world, the flight of the children on the last train out of the cities of the East Coast send them west in this armored train as vampires are attacking the train. Incredible scenery, incredible stuff. And I also love, I love any kind of dystopian story that's like the second generation of people who've kind of forgot what life was like beforehand. And and they've grown up in this society that's this post-apocalyptic society. I really loved that story. The second book was a mess and truly weirdly <laughs> problematic. That said, I loved the first one. The second one was a mess. The third one, I read a little bit of it, but didn't finish. But I'm optimistic for this. I do think there's a little something cable about it. But that first book is great. I love these books. A Chris Ryan recommendation. Yes. True Chris Ryan recommendation. I feel pretty similarly in terms of when I was most in and most out. The yeah. first book is tremendous. Tremendous. I quite liked the third book, I have to say, way more than I was expecting. Second book is interesting. <laughs> The trilogy does a thing that I am consistently in awe of. It's nothing like Cavalier and Clay, but it does remind me of it in the sense that one of the things that just floored me about Cavalier and Clay and about Michael Chabon's writing in general is I was very resentful mm. every time the story reset and right. you were in a new time frame and a different part of the tale. I was like, no, I, I loved where I just was. I want to stay there. And then I kept feeling that way because every new iteration won me over fully. And the passage is like that. So when you start off with Amy and Brad, and you think that's going to be the whole story. Right. So the big casting news so far was Mark Paul Gossler. And he's cast to play Brad, who, spoiler alert, guys, Brad is not the main character in this right. book. It's Peter. Yeah. It, maybe Amy, depending on how you think about it. Peter's introduced hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages into this story. Yeah. So when you get to Peter, when you get to that new world and that new part of the story, I was like, I don't care about these people. Right. Take me back to where I was. Take me back to the Pacific Northwest. And then you're so won over and you're sucked in so fully to that world. And that happens time and time again. One of the truly incredible achievements about the third book is that you get – I won't go into details in case you guys are interested in reading it, but you get a villain origin story, yeah. and I love those. Love it's that. one of the things that I absolutely adore about Half-Blood Prince. We're going to obviously talk about that at length eventually. I was so all in on the chapters that told us who this person was before he was the villain that I could have just read three books on that. Yeah. And so I think that's a pretty remarkable achievement. I definitely think that this show would work best on – HBO or Netflix or Amazon, something where you could get full violence, a lot of sexuality, something where you can binge. I don't know that like a week to week model on a network yeah. is really going to be able to do what the story's trying to do. But these are great books. You guys should read them. Uneven, but great. Yeah. Number nine, Patty Sutz. Do you consider the portrayal of Ginny in the movies, the Harry Potter movies, to be one of the greatest crimes in cinematic history? <laughs> that's a, that's a, wow. First of all, I'll just say that I'm looking forward to having Hours and hours and hours yes. of Harry Potter conversations with you guys. Yes. I mean, a question like this gives me high hopes for the kinds of things that we're going to discuss. Yeah. We're going to save our hardcore Harry analysis for Harry Potter binge mode, but it's fun to kind of like have a little, a little Harry snack here and sure. there, get into it a little bit. And I think Ginny's a good character yeah, for that. Right. A thing that happened on this podcast mm -hmm. is that we said some things about Hufflepuff and people were very upset. And we did not mean to upset people. We and we have nothing that. but love for Hufflepuff. Right. In general, we are very much Hard in the working, camp loyal. of the division was the problem. That's you know, right. let's all come together That's and appreciate right. the things that we... Listen to the warnings of the sorting <laughs> the hat, sorting my hat friends. The sorting hat always knows, guys. So I say that because <laughs> basically anything we say about Harry Potter should have the caveat that if you don't agree with us, that's okay. Yeah. We totally respect your opinions and your preferences. And in fact, that is what's so beautiful about this story is that people care about it so deeply. Okay. So if you love, love movie Ginny and you think she is a dynamo of charisma and energy and just owns the screen whenever she's on it. Yeah. That's awesome and I'm happy for you and I'm glad that you got that for all those movies. I do not feel that way. I think that Ginny, movie Ginny, mm. seems like a person I would love to get high with in my dorm room. Right. Like she's very mellow and reserved. Low energy, I'd yes. say. 
And that's fine. You know, it's a choice. It's just not necessarily how I personally pictured Book Ginny. Book Ginny, one of the truly great creations in this story. Quite an active social life. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Active love life. Ginny is a badass who takes what she wants. And I think you need a certain forcefulness in the performance. But of course... The greatest crime in cinematic history, and we will talk about this probably every episode of Harry Potter binge that we ever do, so I have, yeah. I have, I have no uh, qualms about spoiling it here because it's a recurring take that we will revisit often. Dumbledore running to Harry in Goblet of Fire and saying, right. did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire? Yeah. As he shakes him. Did you put your name into the Goblet right. of Fire? Almost like he just found out Harry like shoplifted or something. Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire? Very tough. That is the greatest crime in cinematic history. Yeah, very tough. What about you? What did you think of Movie Ginny? Uh, You know, Movie Ginny, yeah, she's a little reserved for me. Certainly doesn't crack, like, the top eight issues that I would have in terms of, like, the adaptions between the (laughs) the movies and the books. I would also say that that scene where Harry's name pops out of the goblet and Dumbledore goes nuts is extremely out of character and stands in stark contrast to the scene, the way the scene plays out in the books. You know, Ginny doesn't, yeah, Ginny doesn't bother me that much. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a Ginny fan. Movie Ginny is not how I pictured book Ginny, but not I would all, definitely but... not characterize it as one of the greatest crimes in cinematic history. But again, yeah. Patty, if you think that, yeah, that's okay. All right. Number 10. Couple kind of like- Future binges. Similar questions here. We get a lot of questions about topics we might cover in the future. We thought we would just quickly run through a few of them. So here they are. And we got numerous questions like this. So these are sort of representative. Matt Weber asks, expected timing for Harry Potter binge mode. I have to reread the books. We get this question regularly. Yeah. Here's the answer. Guys, we're still figuring it out. It will be in- It'll be warm out. <laughs> It will be warm out. Yes. It's always warm in California. If you're not in California, it will be warm out where you are. But not the hottest it can be. Not the hottest it can be. (laughs) (laughs) We hope to have more specific information on this very, 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 Start rereading now. Why not? They're wonderful. Get ready. Get ready for it. Why not? Shira Kersey. Have you guys considered deep dives on some older shows and movies? Breaking Bad, The Wire, True Detective, Lord of the Rings, books and movies. We have. We have. We've considered binge modes on... All the things that we love and that you might love too. Yeah. And we really look forward to continuing this podcast and talking about a lot of the shows and movies and books and stories and things that we love. It would be really, really awesome to do Breaking Bad one day. That would be great. We can't say for sure, but we are- Lord of the Rings might actually happen. Excited by the prospect. Numerous questions about Lord of the Rings. That's next from Ryan J. Smith. Will we get a Lord of the Ring binge mode series? Let's just say yes to that. Yeah, yeah, certainly by the time the Amazon series takes off, we will- We will do a full binge, deep dive, movies, books, everything on Lord of the Rings. Consider it a promise. Just as a palate cleanser, I read the- Helm's Deep chapter of Two Towers this weekend and was delighted. It's wonderful prose. Tremendous stuff. Basically, everyone on the internet has asked us if we will be doing Lost. We would love to do Lost. We would love to do Lost. That would be a big undertaking, but it would be a thrilling one for us. And then, interesting, Ben Lim, what are your thoughts on the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh Aha. Could there be a binge mode MCU in the future? Glad you asked, Ben. Yes, there will be a binge mode MCU in the future. We're going to be covering the stories that led us up to the Black Panther release. will be one episode of binge mode. Then we're going to cover Black Panther itself as another episode. And certainly we're going to delve further into the MCU as we get closer to the Infinity War release this May. Yes. So count on that the next two weeks from us and then count on us returning to it when Avengers comes out. Yeah. All right, guys. Thought we were in trouble there for a second. Yeah. But it's fine. We're fine. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you are as excited for Binge Mode Harry Potter in spring as we are, (laughs) and that you will join us again next Thursday when we will be exploring the evolution of the Marvel superhero film formula ahead of Black Panther. Until then, just remember, make Tom Brady proud. (laughs) Fly, Eagles, fly, baby. Kiss your sons! Yes. Ah, Chewie, your fur is a member of a shade. Brown.